When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Sarah Geringer is my guest today. She and I talked about surviving a difficult marriage. When she says difficult, she's not talking about dealing with the part of life that we all have to deal with. The dirty socks next to the hamper or the toothpaste in the sink or not being helpful at the right times. She's talking specifically about an abusive marriage. Her driving force to make peace in her marriage came from her firsthand experience of how divorce creates, in her words, a nuclear fallout for children. Additionally, her heart was to please God by honoring the vow she had made to her husband and in front of the guests who witnessed her pledge, not to mention in the sight of the God who takes a vow very seriously. She wanted to be able to look at God and say, I have truly tried everything within my human ability to make this marriage work. Sarah talks about her 20-year journey, what she discovered about herself, about God, and his intention for marriage. She shares resources, mistakes, revelation, practices, and insight that allows others to potentially take a shortcut through their journey. She defines love bombing, how our gift of choice can be a gift we give ourselves. And she explains this quote from one of Henry Cloud and John Thompson's books on why it was a stumbling block for her. Become so strong that they can no longer hurt you and become so loving that they cannot resist you. You'll want to hear her take on Dr. John Gottman's analysis of the four horsemen, which are actually four attitudes and the actions that back them up. Sarah helps us understand that when these four attitudes are present, the marriage is doomed. In my opinion, though, Sarah is proof that you can overcome, but she tells us why she thinks contempt is the worst one of the four. The list of the books and the authors, the various resources that she talks about are available in the podcast notes themselves or on my website at A Life of Thrive. You can find the audio and the notes on the blog page of the website. I know you'll want to go to the podcast page, but all the notes are on the blog page and it'll be under her specific blog post, Sarah Geringer. Let's get started. Thank you, Sarah Geringer, for coming on today to have a conversation about marriage, difficulty in marriage. Thank you for your time, your energy, and your willingness to be transparent. Sherry, I just couldn't be more blessed to be here and speak into your listeners' lives. And I'm just hoping that God will do great things through this conversation. I believe that he will, because we both want to highlight who he is in the midst of marriage. And before we talk about you and your husband and how you met, share your personal thoughts on why do you think God gave us marriage? Anytime that things spin out of control, like they are right now in our culture, I love going back to Genesis one and two. That's really before sin entered the world. And it, I'm kind of an idealist by um, personality, my nature. And I like going back and studying and meditating on what was the world like before sin entered, because it gives us a picture of what the new kingdom on heaven and earth is going to be someday. And one of the 
most important pieces of that creation story is that God put Adam and Eve together. And that was the crowning masterpiece of his creation. And it's because he wanted people to relate to one another in intimate relationship, just like he does as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that's why he wanted a husband and wife to become one flesh. And I think it's amazing that in that account, it says, you know, this is the reason why man will leave his father and mother and become joined to his wife. And this is before, you know, Adam and Eve were the only two people, you know, and, and they're already making a comment. This, this is God's plan for all humankind before sin entered the world, before division entered marriages, before that competition and the curse of sin that lays on all of us. And I just love meditating on God's beautiful design for marriage because we can still pursue that. Even as sinful people, we'll never be completely whole this side of heaven, but we can commit to our marriages and study God's plan and pursue that high road that he calls us all to as Christian wives and make our marriages better to the best of our ability, no matter how many challenges we're facing. Mm -hmm. So good. So good. When I think about what you're saying, I look at the dynamic of a man and a woman. And why do you think in the church or even outside the church, submission is looked at in a negative way? Because that's not the heart of God in the way that we view the word submission. Well, I think it's, I think our Western culture is very independent, very me focused. I'm a product of this culture, so I have to fight those tendencies in myself as well. And I think it's a misunderstanding of authority. I think that we're all, again, we're all sinful creatures. We would all rather go our own way. That was what the first sin was about. It's written on our hearts before we're born. That's the code that is programmed into us. But God will redeem us from that through the blood of Jesus. But it's something that we have to fight every day. And if you go back, if you go to Genesis 3, and you look at the consequences that God gave Adam and Eve, I think you can see the problem starting right there. You can see it right before that because they're blaming each other. They're hiding from God. They're hiding from each other. But I'm saying in their relationship with God and moving forward, you know, God says that Adam's, Adam's primary curse is work. And he's going to be a slave to his work. His work is going to become toil. It's going to become uh, weary to him rather than life-giving like God had planned it to be. Mm. I can see glimpses in my work <clears throat> that are life-giving, but it always tires me out. <laughs> my brain is always tired. You know, my body is tired from working. And to think about before the fall, it wouldn't have left us that way. Mm. And I think particularly, I, I've never met a man never in my life who doesn't gain his core sense of identity out of what he does. And I think that's God's blessing on men that they are, they are the provider. They mm -hmm. kind of reflect that role of God. Mm -hmm. 
and then the curse on Eve. And there's much debate about what this looks like. But uh, one of the translations says your desire will be to control your husband or your desire will be for your husband. And there's all kinds of different opinions about what that means. Mm. But I think that everyone who's been a wife understands what that curse feels like. You have this yearning for your husband to be somebody that he can't be because only God can fill that whole desire in your heart um, for fulfillment. But also you, in terms of the submission teaching, I think women resist that um, covering that our husbands are supposed to give us. And I think about the relationship between Boaz and Ruth and how he was her kinsman redeemer. And when she came to him and she said, spread your covering over me, we read that and we're like, what is going on? You know, it doesn't make sense. You know, she's proposing marriage and asking him to put this cover over her. But if you think about it in a metaphoric context, I think that deep, deep, deep down in every woman's soul is she longs for a man to cover her Mm. in protection and what she wants to give him in return is that nurture Mm. Um, the nurture that we are given as mothers as even as single women I think God puts this um, innate kind of calling on us to be nurturers the, the men are the providers and the women are the nurturers. Mm-hmm. And everything in contemporary Christian culture, even I think in, in our um, American culture, for sure, is saying, no, women rise up. You need to be equal to men, men you know, women power, women empowerment. And I'm not saying that that's not important. I think that, yes, we are equal in God's eyes, but I'm saying, I think the way God created us is too long to get something from one another that we can't get in ourselves. And when we try to get it in ourselves, that's where we end up falling short and feeling like dissatisfied, I think. And I just want to speak to any single ladies that are listening right now. I am not saying that you're not on the same level as a married woman. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, I think that we all have that hunger inside us to be covered. And I think when we're single, where we make a mistake, where I made a mistake when I was single is not seeking that covering from God himself. And thinking, you know, unless I have a man, unless I have a boyfriend, then I'm not really a complete person. That's the error that we can make when we're single. But when we're married, we can still make that same error in thinking, you know, well, I'm going to put my desires first and he doesn't know what he's doing. And so I'm going to turn into his mom Mm -hmm. rather than his, his helpmeet, which is what, um, Eve was to Adam. So yeah, this, I mean, I've given this a lot of thought and I've had to 
to navigate these difficulties that I've had in my marriage and realize that the longings I had were good Mm. um, because God put them there and he puts them in all of our hearts as women. If we can't get that met in our marriage, then we can get that met in our relationship to God. That's a very good point. I also thought it was very interesting when I did a Bible study one time that the Lord tells the man to love his wife and tells the woman to respect her husband. Very interesting to me that a husband finds value in his wife respecting him and a woman wants to be loved. And I think it goes back to what you were saying. Men like to be known by what they do, but women like to be known by who they are or the relationships, that nurturing quality about us. What do you think about God's intention behind a vow, especially in the marriage context? What is it about himself that he's trying to reveal to us? Our God is faithful. He's ever faithful. One thing I love about reading the Old Testament is seeing just how faithful God was to these stubborn, Mm -hmm. stiff-necked people that just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. And these were his chosen people. Right. He kept telling him, these are people who walked through the desert for 40 years and saw God's physical presence in a cloud or in a pillar of fire. And so they didn't have that excuse of not seeing God. Like we can't see God today, but they could see a representation of him in those things. And yet they still didn't get it. So that just proves our human nature is to move away from God and not trust him and trust ourselves instead. So when we make a commitment to our spouse, we are reflecting that faithfulness that God has with us. And I know many times in my marriage, I had to go back to, you know, Right now, my feelings are not, they are not God honoring. They're not. Uh, I'm going to pour them out to him in honest prayer, just like David does in the Psalms. He pours everything out in front of God. But I'm going to stay firm because I committed to do this. I committed not just in front of my husband, in front of the people that were at our wedding, and I committed in front of God Almighty, and I don't want to stand in heaven someday and have to answer to him face to face when I can see him, because we all will have that someday. Right. All of us are going to have to stand before the throne of judgment. And God's going to say, what did you do with, with these responsibilities I gave you? And I did not want to stand before him and say, I reneged on my commitment. I saw how that caused my parents' marriage, caused my husband's parents' marriage, caused my grandparents' marriage because of infidelity. I did not want to be the actor in making that happen and breaking that vow and becoming one flesh with someone else. Mm-hmm. So though I've made many mistakes in my marriage, that's one that because God's grace to me, I have not made, and I'm so glad I haven't, because I have seen what I call the nuclear fallout that happens in families when commitments are broken. And of course, 
infidelity can happen in different ways. I'm talking about sexual infidelity, but there can be financial infidelity. There can be addictions. Uh, There can be all other kinds of things that are very serious sins in a marriage that wreak havoc and have a ripple effect of sin on not just the spouse, but children and other people involved in the families and even community sometimes uh, when we break our commitments to our spouse. And I know God takes a vow very seriously. He's made a vow to us and he will see us through and present us to God as the bride. Let's talk about your marriage. How did you guys meet? We met when we were in college. We were introduced by a mutual acquaintance and we started dating in February of 2000 and we were engaged by June and we were married in November, all of the same year. So it was a whirlwind romance. I hadn't um, dated anyone for four years or so. It was uh, pretty tumultuous and got a lot of pushback from our family, which is really unfortunate. But I think they could see some red flags. Both of us were not healthy emotionally going into the marriage. Both of us were trying to get healed in the marriage, I guess, instead of going into the marriage healed. And so that always creates issues. One of his friends had died of cancer at age 28 before we met. So that was kind of a trauma that he wasn't really processing. For me, my dad was getting divorced again, and he was in his own whirlwind romance at the time. So that was upheaval in my family. My mom was moving and she didn't really have a place for me. So I was a broke college student and I was worried I was going to have to drop out because I didn't know how I would pay my bills and and like get an apartment and everything. So a lot of problems going on. Dr. Charles Stanley talks about the acronym HALT, when you're too hungry, when you're too angry, when you're too lonely, when you're too tired. Those are not any times to make um, major decisions in your life because you're under a tremendous amount of stress. Well, I was all four of those. Mm-hmm. And so it was a perfect storm right. when I met my husband. Looking back, we both talk about this. We say we wish we had not lived together before we got married. The statistics show that does not do good things for your marriage. It does bad things for your marriage. And that's what happened to us. That's a secular study. That's not even a Christian study. The right. percentages. Yeah. Right. We did that for practical reasons, but it was sinful and the effects of that played out in our marriage. One of Kevin Lehman's books talks about the woman is the one who actually pays the price more in that situation because it's not creating emotional intimacy. She thinks that it is because you're all heady with this rush of emotion you're experiencing, but because the guy thinks he's getting, you know, the best thing for free, then when you get married, then there's automatic disrespect built in. And that's exactly what happened to us. I felt like that put a big roadblock in my relationship with God. I was very feeling very guilt ridden over that. 
And it took me several years uh, to overcome those problems in my relationship with the Lord. So it, it just caused a lot of pain for both of us, not just for him, for me. Again, we were clinging to each other for things that no human being can meet for one another. Uh, I think that's very common for young married people to misunderstand that for a wife to misunderstand that her husband is not capable of fulfilling all her needs and vice versa. The wife is not capable of meeting all of her husband's needs. And so we both fell into some unhealthy patterns. What changed for me is um, besides going to a handful of counseling sessions after we got married, that did help. But I think what changed for me in my healing uh, process was becoming a mother about three and a half years later. And I realized that my child, my newborn baby, he was going to die if I didn't take care of him. And so for the first time, really, I'm 26 years old, I realized that I have worth. I have value. I matter. I have been emotionally abused my whole life. And so this was a difficult thing for me to accept, but it was staring at me right in front of my face. If I don't feed this screaming baby, <laughs> right. she's not going to thrive. And so that was very affirming to me. I think God used that experience of me becoming a mother to set me on a healing path. A couple months after my baby was baptized, I joined a, um, a mommy Bible study group at my church. And so I started getting connected with some healthy Christian women, imperfect, but all seeking the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really when I started changing and uh, learning that connecting with other women in a community where they would pray for me, encourage me, rebuke me sometimes mm-hmm. when I needed it. And they helped me grow up and out of my dysfunctional patterns. Also, I spent five years in Christian therapy after I read the Boundaries book in around 2007 because of our dysfunctional extended family creating a lot of problems for us. We started setting some boundaries and then I just realized how much I needed God to set me straight and show me a new way. Even though I had known God my whole life, I don't know. I don't remember a time of not knowing who God is, but just deepening my relationship with him and exploring that path of righteousness that he wants us to walk in everything that we're doing. And that's when I really started getting a handle on how to be a godly wife, even in a difficult marriage. I don't know of any couple Cause I'll be honest with you. If a couple tells me they don't argue, I personally feel like they've given up. Like either nobody has an opinion or nobody cares. And that tells me you've given up. And so I think that God has a lot of healing to do in marriages. So it's interesting that he would create a union knowing us as broken and then put us together and say, head in the same direction together because you come from two different backgrounds, two different value systems. And now you've got to, come together in union and go in the same direction. There was something that helped me look at marriage differently and stay committed. I was 
listening to Dr. Randy Carlson's radio show at the time. Now it's a podcast. He said frequently to his callers that would call in with marriage questions and he would say, you know, you're asking the wrong question. They call in and say, should I get a divorce? Should I, you know, enact a separation, whatever. And he said, you're asking the wrong question. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And he said, you know, the day that you said I do to your husband, it was God's will for you to stay married. Like up until that point, you've got a choice, you know, but when you make that commitment to someone, it is God's will, unless, you know, for the biblical reasons that the vow is broken. But if those vows aren't being broken and you're just dealing with the junk of life that we all have to deal with, you shouldn't be asking that question. I always remembered that. And I remembered that as a child of divorce, I had seen firsthand how divorce creates a nuclear fallout for the children. I did not want that for my children. I didn't want it for my own heart to have to suffer. I determined not to bring divorce into the equation, even though, you know, there were times that were really, really hard and walking right along that edge of the biblical exemptions, I guess you could call them. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard. But again, I wanted to do myself proud and, and also have God look on me and say, well done, faithful servant. I didn't want to let God down. I'm glad I can look back and be proud of myself in those really hard situations. We had a brief separation, for example, that was so difficult but I can look back and say, you know, I held on and it was for the right reasons. So I hope that that's encouraging someone that's listening today who is just not sure if they can hang on. God is always going to throw another rope down to you if you feel like you're stuck in the pit. That's what the Holy Spirit specializes in using all kinds of things to speak to us. It might be a song you hear on the radio. It might be a podcast you're listening to or like a billboard you see right. on the side of the road when you're driving to work that he's going to use to keep you on track. The greater you seek him by reading the word and praying and making good choices, I think the more you're going to hear and see and feel his direction leading you in those difficult moments of your marriage. The times that I get the most clarity is when I spend that quiet time with him, just talking to him, telling him I love him, letting him love on me, asking him questions. Am I headed in the right direction, daddy? I call him daddy. Is there anything that you want to tell me right now or share with me about this situation? Or what is the lie that I'm believing right now because I have anxiety about this? Who are you in this situation? There's many different subtle, intimate ways that the Lord does connect with us. And I my biggest challenge is to sit still and listen. Mm -hmm. I was talking to him the other night and I got just a fragrance of vanilla. And I was thinking, is that a candle? Do I have a candle around here? I had no candles around. So I was like, oh, that's you, Lord. So even that alone was precious to me. And it's moments like that when we slow down enough, we get that exchange. When you were in your brief separation, what were some of your why questions for God? Or what were some of your fears about being in this position? Oh, 
well, my fear the night that he packed his stuff up and left and told my kids goodbye, I was reliving the worst night of my life when I was four years old and my own dad packed up his stuff and left. Mm. It was horrifying to like go step back into that trauma. In a weird way though, it was a relief at least because there were years of tension and there were so many times, hundreds and hundreds of times I had thought, is this the day he's going to leave? So at least in a way it was over with and we could move forward, Mm -hmm. even though it was horrible. My fear realized when, you know, I go back inside and my kids were, I think they were 10, eight and six at the time. So they're crying and um, hurting and they didn't understand everything. And me having to comfort them, that tore my heart out. But I did say, I know exactly how you feel because I did. I knew exactly what they felt. And I knew I had to be strong for them. And so one thing that I did, and I'm so glad that God led me to do this, is I said, you know, I made a commitment that I was going to reach out by phone every single day to someone who would encourage me in my faith, listen to me, give me honest feedback. And the Lord blessed me with several people that I could do that with during that time period. And, you know, those people would listen to me. They'd pray for me. A lot of them couldn't relate necessarily. Mm -hmm. But they're like, I'm praying for you. I read this verse today. It made me think of you. I read this book today. Let me read you this quote. So that really helped in terms of not feeling alone. And in terms of when something that big happens, we can't handle it ourselves. And that's what the body of Christ is for. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens. And they did that for me during that time. Women are verbal processors too. We need to talk our problems out. I needed to talk about what was going on, my feelings. Is he ready to come back home? Is he not? I had to talk that out with some people that I trusted. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord uh, used those people to kind of quiet my fears. The fears didn't go away. I don't think they can. I mean, it's just human nature. When you don't know what's going to happen, your life is going to be shattered as you know it, I think fear is normal. It would be weird if you didn't have it. But in terms of praying every day, reading my Bible, like I already had been for a long time, I'm glad that was already my practice. Journaling, Mm -hmm. uh, journaling my thoughts out, and then connecting with the body of Christ. That's what carried me through those difficult weeks. And, um, and reading books like crazy. I was reading uh, books by Dr. David Clark. I don't want a divorce is the name of that book. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman has written a book, Hope for the Separated, I think. And Dr. Dobson's book, Love Must Be Tough. I was just feeding on those books. In Dr. Chapman's book, he talked about a wife who made her estranged husband a pie. And that was like, the bridge 
that brought them back together. And that kind of sparked an idea in me. And, you know, the Lord said, why don't you invite him? This is in the springtime. So we have a nice big covered porch on our house. And the Lord said, why don't you invite him uh, for dinner? And so I made things that I knew he liked. Strawberry cheesecake was the dessert instead of pie. The Lord used that one little tiny story in Dr. Chapman's book that I was reading for me to do something in my marriage to build a bridge of reconciliation. And things did get better for a while after the separation, but about a year and a half later, some of the problems returned. Finally, it was it was the fall of 2019. I talked this all out with God first. And I had told God, if I was standing right in front of you today, Jesus, and I could look into your eyes, I could honestly say I have done everything humanly possible in my power to change myself, to improve myself, to remove myself from the contributions to the problems. I've done everything I can. And now we're back in this low place, even lower than we were before. So this is it. And so I go to my husband and I'm like, I, I cannot do this anymore. You are going to have to get counseling yourself. I, I can't do it. I can't live like this anymore. This up and down roller coaster of emotions. There's a metaphor in one of Lundy Bancroft's book. He, he's a secular writer, but his book was amazing for helping me understand some of our issues. And uh, Lonnie Bancroft talks about the image of a, of a little girl with a daisy. We've all done this, ladies. You know, you pick the petals off. Does he love me? He loves me. He loves me not. Well, I'm doing this in my marriage. You know, that's not healthy. But that's where I was. And I decided I could not live like that one more day. And, you know, for all of us, there's like a tipping point. You know, I was telling him. It's kind of like when you build a Jenga tower, you know, you don't know exactly which brick that you pull out is going to make it all crumble down. But all of us has one of those bricks inside. And usually it's something really random and silly almost, mm -hmm. but it's because you've had years and years and years of turmoil mm -hmm. and heartache and disappointment mm -hmm. and pain. And so one little brick, it might be the dumbest argument that 20,000th time you've argued about socks on the floor, whatever, and it breaks you. And you're like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And that's where I was. And so he started to get counseling by himself. And finally, this past year, 2020, we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. And I could finally see some lasting changes in him. Okay. We had to go through all kinds of hell to get to that point. And like I said, you know, both of us come from dysfunctional families. Both of us have mental illness um, in both sides of our family. There were a lot of strikes against us going in, some that we couldn't help, some that we could help. That's what counseling is for. But when I look at myself, you know, I take this like, aerial view of, of how much suffering that I've had as a wife in a difficult marriage, I can still say 
that I'm proud of what I did to stay committed to the marriage, reading all those books, consulting with my counselor, asking my friends to pray for me, guarding my heart against there were years where I couldn't watch Hallmark movies. I couldn't read romance novels because it hurt too bad because I knew I didn't have anything like that. Being very, very cautious around other men Mm -hmm. uh, and not putting myself in compromising situations Mm -hmm. that were, you know, for other women, no big deal for me, big deal. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you in those situations. But if you're going through a really difficult marriage, and I'm not talking about the regular run of the mill stuff. I've written a post on my blog that maybe you can share in the show notes about can a difficult marriage change? And I lay out everything that I had to do and what had to change in our marriage for it to survive. You know, like I said, when you're talking emotional abuse, you're talking addictions, you're talking some really serious problems. Most marriages don't necessarily get to that level. Most marriages that I've observed, my friends' marriages have not had that level of difficulty, but I know there's plenty of wives suffering in silence Mm. because they think no one understands. And yet that is a lie that Satan wants you to believe so that you won't get help and you won't reach out and you will just feel defeated. And he's going to take so much out of you when you don't find the help that you need. Like those things that I mentioned. The daisy symbolism that you just shared, that ping pong and back and forth and weighing everything that he says, is this good? Is this bad? Does he love me? Does he, does he not love me? What a mind game that is. And then isolation where you feel defeated from the very beginning. Therefore you do not reach out for help and isolation is Satan's greatest tool to keep him in our minds and not break out of whatever lies that we have agreed with or believe for ourselves. I like how you give the examples of the things that you have done, because like you said, this was not a typical problematic marriage. It had some serious things that most marriages would crumble under. Do you think that because love is sacrificial, do you think this is being in a marriage? Or do you think it's just the normal way of taking broken people, putting them into a marriage, and then we're trying to find our way through it? Is there a difference between trying to discover who God is in marriage or sacrificial love when complications come up in marriage? So I'm going to answer that question with a quote in one of Henry Cloud and John Townsend's books, uh, their books have changed my life. I highly recommend everything that they've written. I believe this quote is from the book, How People Grow. And it's something, I call it kind of a stumbling block for me because I'm not there yet. I'm further along than I used to be when I first read this quote and it shocked me. But I think all of us can benefit from kind of mulling over this truth. So they said, become so strong that they can no longer hurt you 
and become so loving that they cannot resist you. What I see in that quote is a humongous amount of personal responsibility. Right. Can't blame the other person for that. That's a ton of work you have to do in yourself to become so loving that they can't resist you and so strong that they can't hurt you. You have to realize that this is an idealistic quote. You know, people still hurt us every day, right? But you have a choice of how much you let someone hurt you. You have a choice of how much you let something trouble you. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. We have the power of free will to decide how much a situation is going to infiltrate us and ruin us because if our identity is all wrapped up Mm. in being a wife, and that's our primary identity, yeah, when he says something mean, when he neglects you, when he physically abuses you, that's going to cut all the way to your core. But if your primary identity is in Christ and in sacrificial love, Mm. love others the way that you would like to be loved, right? Or love your enemies. Sometimes, sometimes that can apply in a marriage, you know, and we know that our enemies are not, the Bible tells us it's, it's the principalities and powers of Satan and his uh, evil forces that are really working against us. Mm-hmm. It's not our husbands. It's Satan's power at work, fighting and slinging arrows at us in our marriage. But what I'm saying is, if you're in a situation, and I've been in this one, where you feel like your enemies on different sides of the war in your marriage, Jesus says, love your enemies Pray for them. In this way, you will will pile burning coals on their head to, you know, bring them to repentance, invite them to repent. What I would say in terms of loving sacrificially is you've got to do a ton of work internally with God, being honest with yourself, gaining self-awareness, being willing to admit your faults, being willing to say, Essentially, I'm a selfish person and I'm always going to be looking out for myself. I'm reading a book right now by Dr. Larry Crabb. It's called Men and Women, Appreciating Their Differences. And that's pretty much the premise of his whole book is we're, we're all selfish and we've got to be refining that selfishness out of ourselves to be the best husband or the best wife that we can be and to get from each other what God intended us to receive from one another. And selfishness is the thing that gets in the way of that. And coming back around to something we talked about before, that's why people get their haggles up about submission so much because it's their selfish nature that they don't want to get past to lay that down for the benefit of someone else. And if we're submitting to one another in the biblical model of, Jesus submitting to the father or Jesus laying down his life for his bride, the church, then really becomes a lot clearer and, and quite frankly, a lot harder, (laughs) a lot harder to achieve. We can only do that with God's help. Just like that quote I was saying, we can only become 
super loving and super strong in God's love, in God's strength. We really can't do that ourselves. And we've got to rely on God to supply us so that we're giving out of an overflow rather than feeling like we can generate that within ourselves out of our goodwill, because that's going to let us down sooner or later. So that's really key. Plant your feet, your heart, your vow on who God is. I think that would help not only encourage, but equip women to walk out that vow when it gets difficult and whatever your definition of difficult is. But I mean, I, I do believe there are some that are difficult and then there's some that are near impossible difficult. Backing up just a little bit, you mentioned that you uh, connected with the body of Christ. So you leaned into some wise women who could lead you or call you out, hold you accountable for attitudes or whatever was going on with the struggle. How do you find a safe person? Because I believe you shouldn't be telling everybody your business. There's just some people you cannot trust with issues like that. I, I, another book I recommend is Safe People by Cloudy Townsend. That has a ton of uh, questions that you can go through in determining if someone is safe. And just so that you know, none of us are 100% safe people. We're all sinful by nature, but there are people that are seeking God's will and wanting to grow in him. And then there are others that aren't. So that's where you need to ask for the Holy Spirit's wisdom and guidance. He will give you that insight to know whether a person is trustworthy or not. I know that is very difficult, especially in all these changes that we've experienced from the pandemic. You know, a lot of churches are not meeting in person still, but I think that Every pastor I know would be overjoyed if a wife went to him and said, I am looking for a marriage mentor. I'm looking for an, a woman who's older than me, who has more experience than me in her marriage, someone who would build me up in my marriage. I don't know a pastor who wouldn't be delighted to pair you up with someone in the church because pastors are going to know who those gold chip people are. They're going to know who's trustworthy. They're going to know who's going to be a good influence and they can guide you into that. I think mentorship is incredibly powerful. It's underused, but it is biblical. It's uh, written about in Titus 2 that the older women are supposed to mentor the younger women in very practical areas like marriage, child raising, and keeping a home, all those things, you know? And so I think if you can humble yourself to seek someone who can mentor you, you will grow so much faster and so you'll become so much healthier from that input from a trusted person. And I want to say, usually this is not someone in your family. I know it's easy, quote unquote, to default to someone in your family, but your family is not necessarily going to be for your marriage as much as you think. They're programmed to defend you. Right. And they're, it's going to be really, really difficult for them not to see your spouse as the bad guy and mm -hmm. you as the good guy. 
And that's not always what you need to hear. And so I think that's why, you know, a third party is more objective. You could also go uh, speak to a Christian counselor like I did. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are trained to give you an objective perspective. That was life giving for me. I highly recommend that. Also, I'm a Stephen minister in my church, and Stephen ministers are lay people trained to be like a branch of the pastoral care in churches all all over the U.S. and also some international countries. Mm-hmm. But you could go to Stephen Ministries, just Google that, and see if there's a Stephen minister in your area that you could be matched up with. And what we do as Stephen ministers, we primarily listen and pray and encourage. We are not counselors per se, uh, but we walk with people when they're going through a difficult time. And a difficult marriage would definitely qualify for a need for Stephen ministry. So that's something also to consider. And Stephen, spell which version of Stephen that is. With a PH. So if you want to look it up, Stephen Ministries, a PH, try to locate one in your area. That would be a huge asset to a lot of people. I do like the idea of the mentor, the mentorship. I believe that our journey with Christ is a maturing process as we grow into understanding and expanding our knowledge of who he is and who we are to him. So to find someone who's a little bit more ahead of you and who can mentor you with some wisdom, some real life experiences, a little life under their belt, that is a great tool, I I think. If you reflect back, was there something that you should have seen or considered prior to entering back into Uh, the marriage? Do you think it would have been beneficial to extend the separation? Is there something to be considered prior to reuniting, some healing, additional healing, anything that needs to be addressed prior to reuniting? Yes. I think that someone who is an abuser, I'm just going to say it like that. Mm -hmm. Abusers know what to say and what to do to get you back, get you hooked back to believing this is the daisy petal. He loves me, right? So there's a term called love bombing where someone's going to sweep you off your feet, do all those things like when you were dating, right? To make you believe that they're repentant and going to turn over a new leaf. And so I think I missed some signs. Again, just referring back to Lundy Bancroft's book, Why Does He Do That, is the title of that book. It's a secular resource, but it's extremely helpful because he's built a whole organization on counseling abusive men and rehabilitating them. So he knows what he's talking about. And so there's a long section in the back of that book where wives want to know, well, how can I tell? when he's not being abusive anymore. And he paints this long metaphor about uh, replanting a tree. And I don't have time to go into that, but he gives a lot of very clear signs based on counseling over 2000 domestic 
and violent abusers Mm -hmm. of the ones who changed and what it actually looks like when they change. I think that's something that you would need to talk about with a counselor because it's just too hard. You're too close to see that yourself. And I was not as educated at that moment as I became in the following years mm-hmm. in 2019, I sat down with my husband and I read him that chapter in Lenny Bancroft's book. And I said, this is what I'm looking for. I prayed for a window to do that. You can't right. just drop that on someone. Right. But in God's wisdom and God's timing and he, in his guidance, I read that to him. Mm. And I also read him. Dr. John Gottman has 40 years of research on what makes marriages work. He can tell within five minutes, like a 90 something percent accuracy, 93% accuracy, whether a marriage is going to fail within five years, just by watching couples interaction. So he's got this down to a science, but one of the most important things that of his teachings that has helped me is he talks about the four horsemen. And So this is from the book of Revelation. There's four horsemen that are signs of the apocalypse, but he talks about them in terms of if all four are present, doom is imminent in a marriage. And those four horsemen are criticism, contempt, stonewalling, and defensiveness. So if you have all four of those things, the likelihood of your marriage crumbling is very, very high. Uh, It doesn't mean that you can't overcome them, but it requires a lot of self-awareness on both uh, spouses' parts and then a willingness to rehabilitate. I think the worst of those uh, four is contempt because we can criticize when we feel wounded uh, we can get defensive. That's human nature. That was in the Garden of Eden, like we're talking about right as the fall happened. And we stonewall when mm-hmm. when we're in like the freeze mode of fight, fight, flight, or freeze, you know. But contempt, that's to me when the evil sneaks in. Mm-hmm. It's saying, you disgust me. You are vile and offensive to me. It's It's viewing someone as your enemy, Mm. literally. And so that's when you feel justified in doing those other actions because you perceive in your mind and your your subconscious that you are living with your enemy. You're not living with someone who has goodwill towards you. And that's when marriage falls apart. That's when you can start believing a lot of lies and justifying things like looking at porn, flirting with a coworker, man bashing with your girlfriends, right? All this stuff that we'll tell ourselves, eh, well, at least it's not cheating, mm. right? At least it's not going all the way, right? We do this in our minds, never out loud to anybody, you know? But I mean, I get it. I've, I've been there, you know? Uh, and that's when if if those four things can be present on a daily basis weekly basis in your marriage that's when the devil doesn't just have a hook he has a stronghold set up and that's a power base 
where he's establishing authority Mm. in an area of your marriage. And you've got to do for spiritual warfare. You have to have spiritual weapons Mm. and a spiritual game plan, not just natural plans. Yes. You need to go see a marriage counselor. Yes. You need to maybe go see individual counseling yourself, but when you've got a spiritual stronghold in your marriage from those four horsemen being present, you've got to have a spiritual answer and that's with your relationship with God and the body of Christ. Just hearing you say that, I really want to have a whole nother conversation with you about that because I don't think people put any weight on the fact that when a door is cracked, um, pornography and Satan attaches to traumas that we experience and he gains that footing and then uses it continually against us. And we begin to believe lies. And so I believe, like you said, it's a, it's a power base of division and coming in and destroying because whatever God says is good. Satan is definitely either going to pervert it or destroy it. That's his goal. We do serve the God of relationship. We serve the God of love. And so Satan definitely wants to tear that apart and tear that down. Well, we're running out of time, which makes me sad because you have shared so much richness for women to be encouraged. Is there anything else that you want to share that we have not talked about that you think would be beneficial to a woman who is in a very difficult marriage and cannot figure out which end is up? You know, a few years ago, I wrote a blog post series called How to Be a Loving Wife in a Difficult Marriage. And some of those posts rank number one on Google search above focus on the family, above crosswalk, above family life. It's a four part series. I think that might be a good place for that woman to start because it's about doing what you can. Mm -hmm. And I think when you feel stuck in a difficult situation, you feel helpless. But once you decide to do something, even if it's just 2% of the problem that you're going to take ownership of and work on, you become empowered. And that's a good feeling. Then you have some stake in it and you can start fighting back really. So that's what that whole series, I had no idea it was going to explode in popularity like that. I want to tell these ladies who are hurting, who are listening, Mm. if, if those posts have gotten 25,000 views to date, There's so many people out there that are hurting just like you. You are not alone. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie that Satan's telling you. And also don't believe the lie that you can't do anything else because there are things you can do. And maybe reading through that series of posts, like so many people, a whole small city of people have read through those posts at this point. Maybe that can give you some practical uh, tips for engaging in spiritual warfare, but also some practical Christian living tips for you. Well, we're going to put your contact info in the show notes, but where can my listeners find you and that particular series you're talking about? Yeah. So you can just go to my site, saragaringer.com and everything's on the front page, my blog, my podcast, my books, Uh, All my socials are listed there. I post on all of those socials every day. I would love for you to follow me there. My plan is to write a book for wives in hurting marriages. I'm working on that right now. So if you sign up for my uh, weekly newsletter, then you'll be the very first to know if 
slash when I get a book contract on that and when that would become available. That would be exciting. I think about the people that you've drawn from, not just your personal experience, but these professionals and your Christian family, as far as the church that you're associated with. Uh, What a rich conversation resource that your book is really going to be. So I'm excited about that. Parting question. Looking at the scope of the struggle and the adjustment and maturing in Christ and discovering more of who he is, can you think of one particular thing that God spoke into your heart and to the situation that was beautiful in the dark? Yeah. So in the darkest, one of the darkest periods in 2019, before I was telling my husband, I can't live like this anymore. God was inviting me to deeper relationship with Jesus himself. And I was meditating on a song of songs and I took a prayer position based on chapter eight, verse three, where it says his left hand is under my head and his right arm holds me in an embrace. Mm. And so I would lay in my bed on my left side and I would pretend that Jesus had his left hand under my ear and his right arm wrapped around me. And Mm -hmm. that was the most peaceful space in that heart wrenching time Mm -hmm. that Jesus was giving me just to lay there in his arms and feel his love, not even saying really not praying, just laying there. Mm -hmm and uh, enjoying his presence. That was a great comfort to me. His presence is everything. And I love that you're wrapping up our conversation with the fact, go beyond faith and love him and let him love you. Sarah, you've been a pleasure. I deeply appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Sherry. I've enjoyed every minute. 